Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help all writers incorporate more authentic cops, crime, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, retired detective and best-selling author David Putnam joins me in the interrogation room just to clear a few things up. David started writing at 10 years old and penned the beginning of a sci-fi time travel western before other childhood interests called him away. Despite his uniformed colleagues alleging that all his thousands of reports were works of short fiction, David didn't deliberately start writing novels until the later part of his police career. Since Ocean View Publishing picked him up, David's had six installments in his Bruno Johnson series published, and the latest installment is called The Reckless. His writing has been praised by a who's who list of thriller and crime writers, including Michael Connolly, Robin Brussell, and David Dugoni. Thanks, David, for joining Writers on the Beat today. Thank you for having me. <clears throat> I'm reading through the, uh, through the Reckless right now, and it's been a great introduction to your writing. Um, I know making serious novels work as standalones isn't easy, and I really appreciate how well you've done that with this book and this character. For readers uh, like me who are new to you and Bruno Johnson, what would you like them to know about The Reckless and this series? Um, the, the Bruno Johnson series, I try to take a snapshot of, of my career for each book, and The Reckless is uh, the time that I worked bank robbery, uh, chasing bank robbers. Um, mm -hmm. So about the, the bank robberies that I describe in the first part of the book actually happened just the way I wrote them. Wow. That's fantastic. Based on, uh, based on real life and only slightly fictionalized. Now you retired as a deputy sheriff and your time there included a number of specialty assignments. So I, it sounds like you probably have a whole lot of material to draw from is, is these snapshots. Um, from my own experience, I, I, only thought I knew what the responsibilities of wearing a badge were until I had to work homicide. Uh, how do you try to let your readers realize the stress that so many of us feel in this job, especially when uh, we're working a, a murder case or a serious thing like a bank robbery? I try to I try to use the the, the thing I had during the investigation or the incident, uh, and I do that by trying to invoke the. the Essence of the scene, the mm -hmm. location, the descriptions, the, the feel, the, the lighting. I try to put all that in there to make it as real as, real as possible. Uh, when you're uh, when you're doing that and kind of going back and reliving a lot of these episodes, um, does do you ever find yourself realizing, maybe for the first time, how much stress or how hard things actually were, or do you kind of still take a lot of that for granted that oh it wasn't it wasn't that big a deal it just it was just what had to be done. Yeah, I never, I never really thought of it that that way. Um, it was more, I was a little more playing a game. It was, it was fun. It was playing cops yeah. and robbers for me. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, you did obviously didn't start out working uh, homicides or working special investigations. What, what was your progression like up through the ranks of the sheriff's department? Um, I had a uh, a talent for chasing fugitives and running people down. Um, and I, I, I usually used um expertise through narcotics and developing informants for that basis. So I was a court qualified expert in um, under the influence, possession, possession for sales, just about all the narcotics. So I could move within that environment and track people. And um, because of that, I didn't work regular patrol very long. I specialized 
my entire career working violent crimes, narcotics, street level majors, that kind of thing. Well, you know, it's uh, the, those are a lot of the really highly coveted dream jobs within law enforcement, right? You know, um, I don't think any of us got into the job, went to the police academy or the sheriff's academy because we wanted to uh, answer barking dog calls and settle civil neighbor disputes over, you know, noise complaints that are unsubstantiated. But when you eventually work your way into those positions, I mean, those are like lifetime roles that, in my experience, a lot of guys don't want to promote out of because then you got to go back to patrol, right? Well, that's 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 exactly right. Um, when you, each time you promote in the sheriff's department, um, you usually go back to the jail, or you go mm-hmm. to another assignment that you don't want. You got to work your way back out of it, starting from from scratch. So I I stayed a detective as long as I could because I knew I would lose my autonomy uh, on on the street. So uh, when I did promote to sergeant, that was one of the biggest mistakes I ever did because <laughs> I ended up yeah. supervising people that were like me, and I mm-hmm. found out that it wasn't fun. Yeah, I, I've often, uh, 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 I shouldn't say often, I've apologized to several bosses over the years that are, I'm like, hey man, I know I can be a real pain in the ass to manage. I, I'm sorry, but you know, this is the way that I like to work and I, I, I appreciate you not dropping the hammer on me every time that, you know, you, you have a, a chance to do it. I, I wouldn't want to manage a bunch of me's, you know, uh, I wouldn't mind working with a bunch of me's, but I wouldn't want to manage a bunch of me's. Right. That's exactly right. Now the the story of the the reckless this latest release um, to me tells kind of a, another angle um, on a, a really kind of much publicized and feared event right the the times that cops end up shooting or having to shoot or being involved in a shooting with it with a juvenile um, what inspired that part of the story was this kind of a hard topic for you to write about around the the uh, the emotions and the reality of it. Well, Brillon Johnson, he champions the rights of children in all, in all the series, every one of the books. And it just so happened that when I was uh, detached to an FBI violent crimes team, there was a husband and wife team that were recruiting juveniles off of um, uh, basketball courts in the inner city oh, and telling man. them that and they couldn't go to jail, couldn't go to prison because yeah. they were underage. Because they were a kid, right? So they were winding them up like little toy soldiers and sending them in to rob the banks. So when we joined the FBI team, that's the case that they handed us. And I think they did it because it was a hot potato. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that, that's kind of a nightmare uh, nightmare scenario. Um, you know, here here's this impossible problem to, to solve with, you know, to make everybody happy. Good luck with it. Yeah. And, and we did. We, we um, eventually took them down, but um, we took a couple of juvenile crews down first. And usually we just, um, it had to be better planned than others. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We just had to box, box their cars in as they tried to leave. Yeah, you know, between the, 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 the public relations reality of, you know, the public not wanting to admit that juveniles do very adult things, um, you know, people in that, that age bracket, especially males in my experience, don't always make good long-term decisions, right? So to me... I would be a lot more worried about a 17 year old kid coming out of the car than I would come out of the car with a gun than I would like a 27 or 30 year old guy, you know, because he's got a little bit more perspective on the thing. And um, that that would be a very tough thing to work, man. Yeah. It was interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I bet. I bet. Who, who was your first writing mentor? What, and what was that relationship like? 
Oh, well, I started writing in 1990, and I was on my 38th manuscript when I sold my 34th manuscript. So wow. I continued to write, um, even though I wasn't selling anything. I was on my fourth agent, and I was on my – I I quit counting at 156 rejections. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So um, – how I, what was the question? How I got started? Yeah, what about your your first writing mentor? Who my first mentor? Wing, yeah. Uh, well, I just started writing uh, without any training. I just started writing the first four books, um, and then I, then I, after that, I after I wrote the first four, I decided to go look for some people to help me. And my my true first mentor was uh, somebody I met at a writers conference. His name is Jerry Hanna. He was a mm-hmm. creative writing instructor for San Jose State. Oh, and, wow. Um, he started the Rogue or Pirate Workshops at Santa Barbara uh, okay. Writers Conference. Uh, so he he was very good at writing and teaching writing. And I actually uh, wrote a book with him um, as a training exercise. So I learned wow. a, a huge amount of craft from him. Yeah, that'd be a, a really incredibly effective way to, to learn from, from somebody who's mastered that part of the that part of the job. That's a really incredible opportunity. Yeah. And then oh. since then I've been in, I go to writers conferences and um, we've been in reading critique groups. I've been in four or five different reading critique groups and we have one that's biannual and we have one that's every week at our house mm-hmm. as well to keep up the craft level. Now, when, when did you first realize that you could write and that someone besides your family wanted to read it? Uh, to tell you the truth, um, I really, I really wasn't sure until after the first book came out, mm-hmm. and Michael Connolly sent me a personally <laughs> saying yes. that the book kept him up all night and that he loved it. That, that's like a dream right there, right? I mean, that's that's yeah. almost like um, that'd be like getting an endorsement from from you know Sergeant Wamba. I mean, that's that's phenomenal. <laughs> um, being removed from the the cop world a little bit, how do you, um, how is your research? for your books changed um, or is do you even need to do any research? Are you still writing mostly off those snapshots? Well, um, I wrote the first four books in, in current day and um, I was still pretty, it was still pretty fresh in my mind, but mm-hmm. things have progressed since then. Um, my fourth, fourth book in current day, I left Bruno pretty beat up physically and emotionally. And the publisher said, I don't know how you're going to bring him back from this. So I thought about it, and I decided to write four prequels, mm-hmm. so showing okay. the essence of, of Bruno, where he came from. So the first prequel is The Innocence, and it's when Bruno's 25 years old. And I've just finished the fourth prequel. Um, the Reckless is the second, and they picked up the, the third one, which is The Heartless, that comes out a year from February, comes out um, next February. Okay. I just finished The Ruthless, which comes out a year from February. So now mm-hmm. I have to go back and start the current day series again, um, which will be book nine. And so I might have to do some little bit of research on the technology stuff, but maybe not because Bruno, I could freeze frame him because he's an old dinosaur. He might not be into that kind of uh, technology. He might mm-hmm. just be Bruno the way, he, the way he is. Yeah. You know, it's uh, funny as, as you're, Talking about that, it would remind me of a, a conversation I had with uh, with Ian Rankin about his his character Rebus and with uh, you know writing Rebus over the years and how you know he's kept him the the uh, the archaic dinosaur and 
having to deal with, you know, crime in the modern era and technology and, you know, new techniques and, you know, changing case law. And, you know, it's, it's been uh, easier to write him truer to that character than to try to update the guy. Right. Yeah. And but it turns into um, a, what do you call it? A historic almost. Because mm-hmm. Bruno, uh, the, the prequels are set in the late eighties, early nineties. So it's over 20 years old. Yeah. You know, and even, uh, even technology or investigative practice have changed so much, you know, in the last decade that, you know, going that far back, um, you know, it's, it's gotta be a little bit of a time warp for you when writing, trying to write how things were. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I thought I, I was more comfortable writing the prequels because that's where <laughs> I, yeah. I had my most fun, the most fun of my job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's uh, I, I came on uh, right after the, uh, the Caprice LT1s started going away, you know? And so, you know, everybody would sit around and talk about, you know, the, the good old days with the, you know, the Corvette motors and the Caprice and, you know, now we're stuck with these Crown Vicks and, you know, I, I'd give anything to be in a Crown Vic again, <laughs> you know, over, yeah. over all these, uh, all the interceptors and everything else, you know, just, I think you, uh, right. you end up falling. It's just, you kind of a first love, right. You know, that's right. Now, one of the, uh, one of the recurring themes of, of this podcast is that it usually takes about a decade of blood, sweat, and tears, truly hard work to become an overnight success. Um, what was your process, your journey like from that, that inspired writer to published author to, to bestseller? And is, where do you kind of see yourself still trying to go from here? Well, like I said, it took me a long time to, just to figure out the craft of writing. And I was on, like I said, the 38th manuscript when Ocean View picked up number 34, which was the disposables. Um, so I, I put, I definitely put my time in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they say you're an expert if you have 10,000 hours in. Yeah. I have more than I have more than 10,000 hours in. <laughs> um, I, I'm still, I'm still working through. I, I still love writing. I get up every day and write. I, I still read a, a lot of books every week, uh, trying to stay current on what's out in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just still trying to write the best book I can. I think the next two books coming out are pretty good books. Reckless is really doing very well as far as uh, reviews, and those are people yeah. I don't even know. Yeah, no, fictional, uh, fictional crime, especially homicide, um, doesn't really have a whole lot in common with how those crimes and investigations usually play out in real life. Uh, how do you balance the authenticity of your experiences with kind of genre-based reader expectations? Well, you know, I never worked homicide per se. I was on a dog team. And a lot of people think that it's like on Hunter on television where a homicide investigator gets the case and, and keeps it and chases the guy down. Um, when an, and actually that does happen sometimes when, mm-hmm. when the suspect's known. But usually the homicide investigator does the case, gives it to the DA, they file a warrant, and um, they turn it over to the dog team. And that's what I did. I chased the people down. I'd chase them across Arizona, Nevada, California, to take them into custody. So I never, I had the advanced homicide investigation classes, mm-hmm. and I worked with a supervisor, but I never worked um, homicide proper. And, and I'm reading books. There's a there's a difference between what is real and what is accepted, and yes. a lot of readers are happy to accept um, an entertainment value type story, which mm-hmm. which is not real. So. I, when I'm reading those kind of books, sometimes I go, no, nah, I'm not going to, 
I'm not buying it well enough. It's, it's too far <laughs> over the edge. So yeah. I put the I put the book down. So I I try not to cross that line in my work. But a lot of readers they don't know any better, and so they it doesn't matter to them. So when you're reading a book um, and you you know the exploits of a, a fictional detective, fictional investigator, PI, um, what are what are your biggest pet peeves that you find about other people's writing? Uh, you know, I can't off the top of my head. Uh, coincidences, you know, um, I don't I don't like coincidences. And, you know, yeah. Um, I just finished reading the book. Uh, the book had a great depth of character, uh, great depth in craft, but <clears throat> there was a parallel plot that started out great and then it fizzled at the end, and it fizzled because it there was three coincidences attached to it to make it work, and so that kind wow. of thing definitely puts me off. Mm-hmm. But this book very well received, and another one that that's, that I've seen a couple times now is the alcoholic blackout. You know, they they try <laughs> to hide the plot, and the guy blacked out and doesn't remember what happened. Well, yeah. that, to me, that's a cheat, and I, you know, and, and it's entertainment mm-hmm. value, and a lot of people like that. But I can't. I, it's not. I work too hard on my books for that. Yeah, you know, and I I've never. I've never worked, I, I mean, it has to happen, right? But I, I've never worked a case where somebody tried to use that as, as any kind of defense, you know, and it sure, I mean, it would be a great tension point if it happened to you in real life to wake up in jail and not know why you're there. But, you know, I've, right. I have yet to see it, you know, um, you know, normally people start, you know, sobering up in jail and, you know, they seem to remember everything just fine because they, they bitch about it and deny it, deny their part in anything before you ask them a question. So, you know, um, for writers who wanted to want to try to develop relationships or try to lean on expertise on technical advice from somebody in, in our position, um, how do you, how do you recommend they go about developing or finding those relationships, um, and getting that advice so that they can, you know, write something that, that you or I wouldn't throw across the room or put down because it has all the coincidence of the alcoholic blackout in it? Um, well, go to go to conferences and meet up with the, with the cop writers. There's a, a police academy um, writing workshop in present Wisconsin or Michigan every yeah, year. Yes, it's a Leland that puts it on. Yeah, yeah, that would be a great yeah. place. But if you can't, barring that, if you really wanted to get down and dirty into it, I would recommend Citizens on Patrol. You know, you go mm-hmm. to the local police department and ask if you can be a volunteer. And they give you a, a training class. They put you out in a cop car. You can ride with the cops. You get to immerse yourself in within the law enforcement arena, and you can write truer stuff that way. Yeah, that's a that's a great suggestion. The uh, both the uh, places I worked, they had um, citizens academies also, um, where right. you'd go in, and you know it was like usually eight to twelve weeks or something like that. You know, and one one night a week or something for a few hours, um, and uh, the first first one of those I worked with, I was uh, I was already on our, our already on our SWAT team, and but we we put on a a little bit of a building clearing class, um, not to give you know didn't you know divulge a lot of movement tactics. We basically just have, you know go into our our shoot house with a Sims gun, and it was unbelievable seeing the stress these folks felt knowing that there was a paper target in there. And there were cops watching how they, how they went through this. You know, one guy, like we actually had to kind of talk him down a little bit, like, man, nobody's going to shoot back at you. You don't have to go in, you know, but it was a, a great way for him to, you know, realize a little bit of the stress that, you know, we start taking for granted after you've gone in that, 
first, 15th or, you know, 25th house where, you know, you're hunting someone. Um, right, right. And a lot of people think that you need twists and high concepts for a book. Well, to me, the, the, the reader reads for the emotion. And you, just any regular everyday murder has yeah. all the emotion you need into it. It's just a matter yeah. of how you write it, how you present it. Yeah, and, and not, uh, you know, not glossing over missing out on that aspect. I think it's, you know, uh, for a lot of it, um, you know, people want to want to read about people. You know, and, you know, especially the uh, the everyday folks doing extraordinary things or, you know, that that one, you know, very flawed and uh, three dimensional character that they can relate to and simultaneously love and hate aspects of them. You know, it's just people like people. Right. Now, I assume all of us, uh, all of us cop authors share the, the same horrific fear that, that one of our books could become a prison PhD that bad guys use to, you know, avoid identification and detection. How, how do you work to give readers the feel of a, a ride along through this process without giving away the tactics and investigative strategies that are still working in protecting brothers and sisters downrange? Well, you know, I, I really don't think about that too much. I, I try to write it the way it happens and, um, I think everything's available to anybody. Um, I'm not going to give anything away that people can't find out online mm-hmm. as yeah. it is. You know, there's not a whole lot of tricks that that the, the people on television are giving away. I mean, they're giving away the store on television. Yeah, it's you know, unbelievable. They're getting a full education just watching the, um, uh, the different crime shows. Yeah, we were working uh, – uh, I, I worked drug trafficking for a bit, and we, we had uh, – had a case that was tied into some things DEA was doing and uh, the local sheriff at the time um, came out that just his deputies had just made a, a pretty sizable bust out here. And he, he came out on TV within like a couple hours of, <laughs> of the booking and basically gave away the tactics that they had used to catch these guys. And yeah. within like 15 minutes, all of the wires that were up across dozens of investigations all went dead. You know, like he's, he single-handedly killed, killed all those cases just by, you know, wanting to talk about how great he and his guys were, you know, right. It's unbelievable. Yeah, guys, I can see that. Now the, when, when you do read for fun, who are, who are your, Favorite fictional investigations, or, sorry, fictional investigators uh, in TV, books, or film? Well, my, my go-to guy is when I, when I can't find something, I have a whole lot of books I order, and I have stacks and stacks that I draw mm-hmm. from, but sometimes I'm just not in the mood, and my go-to guy is John Sanford. I always go back to John Sanford, the Davenport series. Mm-hmm. I think he does the best um, craft and point of view that hits me right. And I really enjoy reading those books. So now I ask this of just about everyone that comes on the show, um, at least to the, uh, all the authors. To keep that last question in mind there, David, but God forbid it should happen. But if you were to wake up tomorrow and find yourself murdered, would you want Bruno Johnson or Davenport to work the case? Who? I want Davenport to work the case with Bruno Johnson to chase the guy down. <laughs> that's, what, <laughs> that's what Bruno does. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, they will set up a, 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 the uh, Davenport uh, Johnson Task Force. All right. 
Uh, where uh, where can fans connect with you? Maybe follow a blog or find uh, find copies of your works. Pick up the Reckless. Uh, my, my Reckless is, is available any place, um, any any bookstore, uh, online, uh, Barnes and Noble. Anybody has it. Um, but my website is davidputnambooks.com, and I'm happy to answer any questions anybody has. Uh, law enforcement writing questions, anything that I can help them with. I'm, I I do it every day online. Well, I, I genuinely appreciate you making time for us, David. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you're here and uh, grateful that you spent some time with us today. Well, thank you for having me. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been retired detective sergeant and best-selling author David Putnam. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.